Welcome to the Padres Chair, an insightful commentary on everyday life presented by Dr. Tim Schroeder. Sometimes controversial, always reflective, the Padres Chair will nudge you to consider current reality through the lens of time-honored truths found in the Holy Scriptures. The goal of each podcast is to cause you to wrestle with the impact these ancient truths have on your own life. Here's Tim with today's topic. I'm going to interrupt the sequence of the podcast series we've been following because something has come up that I think is time sensitive. And like almost everything else in our lives these days, it is related to COVID. It appears we're turning a long awaited corner and the turn is placing some high impact issues in front of us. Issues that really shouldn't be ignored if we're going to benefit from all we've been through. So here's the underlying concept. Some life experiences are designed to influence the way all subsequent experiences are viewed. Just take a breath and think that one through. Some life experiences are designed to influence the way all subsequent experiences are viewed. For instance, how often have you experienced something that afterward caused you to say, man, I'll never look at blank the same way again. My, my whole outlook has been changed. But we've, we've all had those experiences. Some are desperately serious. Others are actually quite humorous. I had one of those moments when I was just starting out as a young pastor, and given my current hair color, you can assume that that was some time ago, But I was attending some church denominational meetings at our head office, which happened to be in Chicago. And it was my first time to a really big city. And after the meetings, I decided to venture downtown to Wrigley Field to catch a Cubbies baseball game. I I managed to find Wrigley's Field okay. I got in line to buy a ticket when I noticed a 70-something-year-old lady looking at me rather strangely. And I wasn't just imagining it, because after a minute or two of this, she walked right up to me and she said, Hey, Sonny, are you buying just one ticket to the game? It seemed like a strange question, but I said, yes. At which she said, I'll tell you what, I'll sell you one, and it's way better than anything you can buy from them, as she pointed at the ticket booth. I was from small-town western Canada. I'd heard all about scalpers and getting scammed and arrested. And I honestly didn't have a clue what to do. And she could tell how uneasy I was. And so she said to me, she says, Oh, don't worry, Sonny. You come in and sit with me. It'll be okay. Betty was her name. And she was true to her word. We went in second row, right behind the cubby's dugout. Everyone in the section knew her. They, they greeted her with a hug and a kiss. Turns out that Betty and her husband had been season ticket holders for decades, but the year prior, he had died. And now Betty looked for just one person to buy the extra ticket to every game. It was a horrible ball game. The Cubbies were getting killed, so about the sixth inning or so, the conversation in the section turned from baseball to the kinds of people Betty was always bringing to the park. Betty, said the young lawyer who was sitting right in front of us and who was on his sixth or seventh or eighth beer by then, he said, usually you bring nice people to the games, and it's great. He said, but that time you brought a Methodist minister, said it ruined the whole game for me. So I couldn't swear. He looked strangely at me every beer I ordered. Betty, don't ever do that again. 
I want you to bring nice, normal people like Tim here. I got to confess, if at that point they would have asked my occupation, I, I think I would have lied. Nice, normal people? But that conversation some 35 years ago remains vividly in my mind, and it has impacted almost everything about the way I view being a pastor and how I strive to be normal. Some life experiences are designed to influence the way all subsequent experiences are viewed. There's a, a quite widely known Bible account which describes one of those moments. It occurs during the Exodus when Israel was being freed from slavery in Egypt. And the parallels to our current situation are absolutely stunning. The worst was behind them, but they weren't quite out of the woods yet. They were still on a, on a journey. They were out of Egypt, but they weren't at the promised land. They, they were in a place that one speaker has called the land between. And in that situation, they ran out of food. And God provided bread or manna for them. And what Israel learned, or at least should have learned from that experience, is, is of such consequence, its impact was felt for generations, and in fact, I suggest, is still being felt today. It was one of those experiences designed to change the way they viewed everything else. Let me organize the story this way. The experience described in this story exposes no less than four perspective altering principles, each one of them demanding some pretty significant internal wrestling. And so I'll just apologize in advance because if I do my job in the rest of this podcast and teach this story well, and if God decides to nudge you personally through it, then you can probably expect to have some pretty tough things to wrestle with in your own processing moments in the days ahead. So four perspective-altering principles. I'll tip my hand. Two of them are about us and our natural tendencies. One of them is about God and how God often acts. And one principle just is. It's just an observation about life. So I'm going to put all four out on top of the table and leave you to wrestle with them in your own personal space. Here's number one. The first thing to go in hard times is perspective. And it can go in an incredibly short period of time. Exodus chapter 16 tells us that Israel was only about six weeks into the journey to freedom. It says it's the 15th day of the second month since they left Egypt. 45 days. Now, you might not know this, but they had been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years, and now they've been out 45 days. The story goes on to say this. The whole Israelite community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. And the Israelites said to them, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you brought us out into this desert to starve this whole assembly to death. Oh, for the good old days in slavery in Egypt. <laughs> really? How quickly they forgot. 
They forgot how the Egyptians looked at them with disgust and dread and made their lives miserable and forced them to do all kinds of cruel work. Oh, for the good old days of forced slave labor? They forgot that every baby boy who was born was ordered to be killed. They forgot that things were so bad that the Lord said, Man, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I I know about their pain, so I've come down to rescue them. They forgot all that. Historians suggest that 45 days into the journey to freedom, they were just starting to run out of supplies, and with incredible speed, that hardship completely distorted their perspective of how things used to be. Only happens to Israel in the desert, right? Folks, our current reality and our season of hardship is doing a number on perspective. Each time I hear people longing for things to get back to the pre-COVID era, I think to myself, funny, I don't seem to recall everyone celebrating a perfect life 14 months ago. I don't seem to recall an era that was free from complaints and problems back then. And I don't mean to at all trivialize the current hardship. This is a very hard season with drastic consequences for many people. In fact, this is the most difficult season most of us have ever experienced. But it does raise a question. What's it done to my perspective and yours? How has it impacted your view of God and history and provision and faith and of the past and of the future? These kinds of questions are really worth wrestling through. What has this done to my outlook? So that's number one. First thing to go in hard times is perspective. How's yours doing today? The second principle is even more challenging. Second principle is this. The first tendency in good times is to hoard. God heard their complaining. In fact, one scholar calls this section the murmuring motif, and he analyzes all of the various Hebrew forms of the word grumble or complain, and he finds it seven times in just five verses. And incredibly, in the face of all their griping, God doesn't get ticked off at them. Their complaining is heard and and responded to. But then it gets really interesting. Israel's given some specific instructions about how God is going to provide for them. Manna is going to be provided. And there's a fascinating play on words because nobody really knows what manna is or what it means. One suggested translation is that it's the what's-its-name. But God provides it along with some quail and the accompanying instruction that you're only supposed to gather enough for each day. This is designed to be a lesson on trust. It's a lesson about the faithfulness of God. Only enough for each day. And some of them just couldn't help themselves. Man, if there's bread, we're going to get all we can. If there's toilet paper available, gosh, we're going to stock up. The very first tendency in at least some of us is that in good times, we hoard. And in doing so, we violate one of the most basic of all biblical principles, which is that we are blessed to be a blessing. Have you ever noticed that hoarding rarely ends well. 
In Exodus, those who tried to collect more than their share, by the next morning, the text says, it was full of worms and mold and it stank. Centuries later in the New Testament, Jesus expanded on the very same principle and he said we should resist the temptation to store up for ourselves you know, things and treasures where moths and rust get it and thieves break in and steal it. It's just bad practice to hoard. Folks, the Bible is not against saving for emergencies and retirement. But this is about selfishness and holding things tightly for our own benefit rather than living lives of trust and generosity and giving and blessing others. I did my, I did my undergrad work at the University of Alberta, and one of my first wake-up calls to this concept occurred in the library. I went to take out some books for an assigned paper, and the section was almost bare. So I went to the librarian and I asked for help and she said, well, did you look around at the adjacent three or four stacks of books to see if they're there? I said, like, no, why would they not be where they're supposed to be? She looked at me as if I just didn't understand. She said, because the first students who come in to take out books for an assignment often take out all the rest of the books and hide them so that no one else gets to use them. You see, the University of Alberta at that time graded on a stainine system on a harsh curve, so grades were highly competitive, and so the students who would get their books first so that they could do the paper would hide the rest so that other students wouldn't have access to the resource, and it was to their advantage. Ouch. Human nature on display. It's all about me. It's about how much I can get. It's about what I can keep for myself. It's about my rights. I've often thought of those evil classmates and how, of course, I would never do anything like that. And then it came time to maneuver to see how I could get to the front of the line for a vaccine. Because, <laughs> of course, it's all about me rather than community and the most vulnerable. And a very ugly tendency got exposed. This is quite a text that peels back the layers of human nature our problems, first of all, with perspective, and then our uncannity ability to put our self-interest before the common good. Man, am I, am I the only one who struggles with stuff like this? That's principle number two. Third principle. This one is about God. God's provision is often in the moment, not in advance. Which, of course, means that it requires perpetual, ongoing trust. In verse 4 of Exodus 16, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to make bread rain down from you from the sky. The people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they follow my instruction. Each day, subsequent verses say, every morning, just enough for that day. And then, of course, in, in a teaching which could merit, you know, another whole podcast, on the sixth day, they were to collect double because God was starting to institute what was called a Sabbath, a day of rest and worship. It was to become another important part of their rhythm once they got into the promised land. I, I hope this whole sequence of the story is starting to sound a little bit familiar to you. You know, go out and get your bread just enough for that day. Because you see, this account of Exodus is not just Old Testament history. It's a, a powerful foreshadowing of the person of Jesus and the strong link between the Older Testament and the New Testament accounts in the Bible. See, in, in Exodus, God says, I'll provide the manna, the bread, each day. You can trust me for your daily bread. Then centuries later, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. 
Remember it? You learned this one as a child. And he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us what? Give us this day our daily bread. Teach us what you taught Israel in the desert back then, how to live in the moment with you, trusting you every day, not stockpiling to the exclusion of others, but taking a daily journey with you. And then, of course, it gets really good. And this is sort of the heart of, of the Christian message because Jesus proceeds to pull back the curtain of curtains and he says in the Gospel of John, he says, by the way, all this talk about bread and daily bread, I want you to remember one thing. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm the bread. I'm the manna. I'm the bread of life. I'm your provision. I'm what you need. And you need me every single day. In other words, you need to live life in relationship with me. And we get nudged to embrace this daily, perpetual, in-the-moment connection with Jesus, who is the bread of life. Sometimes my tendency is to want to stockpile even my faith, like an RRSP account, just in case I need it someday. And God says, no, what I really want, I want you to journey with me, trusting me every single day. Do you remember the underlying concept of this whole talk? Some life experiences are designed to influence the way all subsequent experiences are viewed. Is it possible that all the uncertainty that COVID has introduced into our lives could actually teach us to live better in the moment with our faith in God? That wouldn't be all bad. All right, that's three principles to wrestle with. One more. Number four remembering God's faithfulness really matters. Remembering what God has done. I've typically missed this part of the manna story. Starting with verse 31, the Israelite people called it manna. It was like coriander seed. It was white, tasted like honey wafers. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept safe for future generations so that they can see the food that I used to feed you in the desert when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. An omer, it's not a measurement we use anymore. An omer was one day's ration back then, two liters or so. And Moses says to Aaron the priest, we're going to save some of this as a memorial. We're going to use it to teach our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren that God provides, that God can be trusted, that he's faithful. Every other time they tried to save some of the manna for the wrong purpose, it went moldy, it got filled with worms. This time they saved it for generations to teach and remember that God can be trusted. I'm quite technically challenged, so some things technology does scares me a bit. But every once in a while I just sit back and I'm simply amazed. For example, you all know this, uh, your phone, my phone, my iPad, all on its own will produce a picture pop-up or sometimes even a video collage will just pop up on my phone and it'll be titled Memories. And recently one popped up. It was quite moving to me. It featured a picture of four people. There was an old gentleman, Peter Schroeder, age 99. He's my dad. Then there was me, Peter Timothy Schroeder. Then there was my son, Travis Peter Schroeder. And finally, there was the smartest, cutest baby ever born, Peter Francis Schroeder. There's four generations of us. And that picture was really cool all on its own. But 
What made it even more special was that the occasion on which it was taken was when old Pete got to meet baby Pete for the first time. And he chose to present him with a Bible with his name engraved on the outside, and it had this inscription on the inside. To Peter Francis Schroeder, This Bible is presented to you by your great-grandfather, Peter. You're part of a great tradition of faith, and my prayer is that the truth contained in this book will guide your life. When you were born, I was 97 years old, and I know the value of honoring God the way this book describes. You know what old Pete was doing? He was doing exactly what Moses said to do when he said, let's create a memorial to God who gave us the bread of life so that we can teach the next generation. The Bible is huge on creating memorials. This one, just of some bread. And to show you how it all fits together, centuries later, after teaching his followers that he was the bread of life, shortly before his death on a cross, Jesus took some bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, I want you to keep doing this as a memorial of God's ultimate provision for you. And Holy Communion was born to help us remember. Some experiences are designed to influence the way all subsequent experiences give you. I hope and pray that we really are turning a corner on COVID. It seems that we are. But I hope and pray even more that the experience of this last year and a half won't be wasted. That we'll deeply wrestle through its impact on our perspective, on our selfishness and generosity, on our understanding of how God provides, and on our ongoing need to never, ever forget. Thank you for joining this episode of the Padres Chair. We hope that you found it stimulating as you consider the role God plays in your everyday life. If you find the Padres Chair helpful, then please pass it on to others who you think will appreciate it.